We're just celebrating God's faithfulness to us, and uh, if you're with us for the first time, just thrilled you're here. Here's what I'm going to have you do, though. I need you to think back to, oh, say fifth grade, and I want you to think of what is, what was your favorite childhood toy in that kind of upper elementary time. What was your favorite childhood toy? I'm going to ask you to share that with the people around you. I'm asking for a few brave souls. We've got some open seats up here in the front. There's a few brave souls that during this time when I come up and reposition themselves up front, I'd love it. But otherwise, I'm giving you 60 seconds to share with those around you your favorite childhood toy. Go. Okay. Wow. There's a lot of childhood toys being discussed. This is good. So uh, there's a little company in Rhode Island called Hasbro, and uh, back in 1983, they made a really sneaky decision. I don't know exactly how they worked it out, but they bought the rights from a small Japanese company to uh, the Transformer um, idea. And so as a result, when I was in fifth grade, we would run around the schoolyard and we'd sing things like, you know, Transformers, more than meets the eyes. And then, of course, we'd do our little... (laughs) I don't know what you guys did, but then, there we go. <laughs> Except what we did was we changed it to, your mother is a guy. <clears throat> so, that's, and he 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 all around the schoolyard. We're so brilliant. But, here we are, another blockbuster movie this summer, and it just seems like the Transformer franchise and empire really has grown. I mean, that was, I don't want to say how many years ago, gosh, it's got to be, well, 28 so a bunch of years ago that, that, was, that, that this thing got birthed, and it's still the, the whole franchise and the empire is just kind of growing. And so, sure, I'm sure they've made some great financial decisions. I'm sure they've made some great um, marketing decisions. But I wonder if some of the whole Transformer success has to do with the very idea that is inherent in the Transformer. That is, you know, here's who you think I am. Ah, here's who I really am, you know. Caterpillar, butterfly, transformation. Honestly, honestly. And so you and I, I mean, it's just a story as old as time itself that we like it, we rejoice when we see transformation. And in every story that we follow, it's the protagonist hits a trial and that hero gets changed and becomes who they really are. And again, it's a story as universal and as old as time itself. So we rejoice. You know, I rejoice when I think of like Abe Lincoln. And Abe Lincoln, what was he? He was a poor country lawyer who self-educated. He failed twice at getting to the Senate from Illinois. But he becomes probably America's favorite president. God raised him at the right, at the right time, right when our country is falling apart. Transformation. What about, there's, there's a woman here I want to show you. You probably don't know who she is. Her name is Wakako Tsushida. Born paraplegic. But somehow, she's transformed into a winning Boston Marathon woman. She just won her fifth Boston Marathon in 2011. She's in the wheelchair division. She cruises down these miles at, in 90 minutes. And of course, you runners are thinking, well, she's got wheels. But I'm thinking, gosh, probably after seven minutes of this, I'd be done. But she does it in 90 minutes. And there's something ticking in her. 
Transform. Some of you guys are excited about NFL this year. What about Tim Tebow? The son of of missionaries in the Philippines. A son who the doctor said to his mom, you should abort this baby because of the infection that Tim Tebow's mom had. I said, just be done with it. And just some 20 odd years later, this guy is a class act in the NFL. In an age where we've got so many dishonorable athletes, we've got someone who's toeing a line. Now, whether he ends up starting for the Broncos remains to be seen, but the fact is he's a class act. And thank God for someone who's got some character in the NFL. I think of another woman I remember in my English class studying Maya Angelou and learning about her, you know, um, abuse, abandonment. And then what do we have here? We have a picture of her giving uh, her poem at a presidential inauguration. Transformation. And of course, the archetype of all archetypes, the story of all stories, Jesus Christ, comes to earth as the Son of Man. This is the picture that the world knows of Him. Suffering on a cross. But Hebrews says that he learned obedience through suffering. There's a transformation even for Jesus Christ. And so now the picture we have in Revelation of him. Hair woolly white. Eyes blazing like fire. Sword coming out of his mouth. Sash. Feet like burnished bronze glowing. Just Jesus in all his glory. He too has endured a certain transformation. So my question for me, my question for you today is, What about you? Are you due for a transformation? What area of your life needs overhaul? Are you due for a transformation? Are there places in your heart and in your life that need an overhaul? We've got good news from the Scriptures today. And that is that You are made for transformation. You are born for transformation. God has transformation in your destiny. And in fact, what I'm going to put forth today is, if you and I aren't in this church thing, if we're not in this following Jesus thing for full transformation, then we're going to miss it. Then I'm going to get bored, and you're going to get bored, and we're going to miss all that God has for us. We are in this thing. As we celebrate our fourth anniversary, I'm saying transformation or bust. God, I'm in this thing for me to be transformed, the people I walk with to be transformed, and for this community to be transformed, and for the nations, indeed, to be transformed. And again, if we're shooting for anything less, we are missing it. Amen? All right, so you turn with me. The very scripture that are on these banners up here, Isaiah 42. And let's see how you were made for transformation. Let's see how we were made to transform this community. Four years ago, in the fall of 2007, when we got started, said, okay, Lord, we hear your call to plant a church. We said, God, what do you want us to be? Who do you want us to be? What should we look like as a people? And in October of 2007, in a time of prayer and fasting, God brought us to these four verses and said, this is how I want to mark you as a people. And before I even get started, I want to say the coolest thing happened about three, four weeks ago. Summer service, we had a, a couple come in that normally attends another church in this area. And uh, as he was leaving, I introduced myself to him and I said, hey, what's up? How can I pray for you or whatever? And he said, hold on. He just looked right at me. He said, 
Your guy's humility, like the harbor's humility, is a mark of your authority. Boom. And then he left. And I just rejoiced. Because as we're about to read in these passages, we have a humble king. And if there's a humble, we have a humble king and we have a humble church are, are uh, imparting that to the community, I say, praise the Lord. You know what I'm saying? He said, your guy's humility is a mark of your authority. In other words, God wants to have us walk out in all that he has for us as we walk in humility. Because we've got a humble king. Listen to this. Isaiah 42. And just for some of the context here, it's kind of like... Uh, it is a contrast. When, after what's, what's been talked about in Isaiah 41 and what comes after, there's this glimmer of hope here in 42. And listen to it. It says, Isaiah's obviously prophesying about Jesus who will come hundreds of years later. He says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out, or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law the islands will put their hope. He will not shout or cry out, or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. And so I start with this first idea right here, that God is called the harbor, that God is called you, God is called me to be a haven for the broken. And this is a haven for the broken. You're a bruised reed in some ways. In some ways, you're a smoldering wick. You've got fire that's, that's not lit. There's a brokenness in your life, perhaps. And God says, hey, hey I want to heal it. And I just want to settle that right now. I think some of you, the one thing that you need to take away from this morning is God wants to rescue you. He wants to heal you. You just let the Holy Spirit right now bring to mind what is that situation? What is that difficulty? What is that trial in your life that is besetting? And I just want to speak to that right now and say, Jesus is a haven for your brokenness. He can handle your issue and He loves you. You need to hear that. Just the other day, I was having my discipleship time with Josh and Jim. We meet on Tuesday mornings early. And I said to them, hey guys, this issue in my life, I feel like my eyes are closing on the issue. In other words, I don't know if you can see kind of the, you know, like at the end of a movie, how you know, the screen goes to black. And I felt like in this particular area of my life, the screen is going black. I'm running out of hope. What is God going to do? But thank God I don't walk alone. I've got brothers like Jim and Josh to walk with, and they just prayed for me. I said, yes, God, even though I feel like a little bit of a bruised reed here, I feel a little bit like smoldering wick here, but God, you're covering me. You love me. And thanks that I have brothers to walk with, okay? Do you hear that? God is a haven for your brokenness, and he can handle it. And then the other big piece that we pull out of this passage is, you know, you hear the word nations, that Jesus wants to bring justice to the nations. We hear that Jesus wants to the islands are going to put their hope in him. You know, the idea of distant islands. And it says the whole earth in this passage. See, the other thing we get is that Jesus has a great mission. He's got a great purpose. And he wants you and me to be a part of it. He wants to launch us to the nations. In other words, he wants to launch you into his purposes. His plan is way better than any plan you could ever think of. 
And whether that means you actually end up getting on a plane and being a church planter in another nation or not is really between you and the Lord. And certainly we can help you discern it. But the main point is that you want to be launched into the purposes of God. And I can tell you they're more fun than anything else. Back in 2007, when I was trying to discern, okay, God, I love teaching. I'm starting to bear fruit in my teaching career as a public school teacher. I've got little pockets of kids who are coming to Christ, and I get to share the gospel, and this is fun. And then, boom, God interrupts and says, yes, but I'd like you to plant a church now. And I think, oh, God, my awesome benefits. God, my great salary. And the little fruitfulness I have here, God, you really want me to lay it down? And I can just say four years into it, it's the best thing I ever did was say yes to Jesus Christ as he wanted to launch me into one of his purposes. Now, the issue of whether you end up laying down your vocation or not is between you and God. That's not the main point. If God says, hey, I want you to go work in the Securities Exchange Commission because I need a man of God there, I need a woman of God there, then you do it. You just say yes to Jesus. That's the main point because he wants to launch you in his purposes because he wants to bring justice to the person across the street and to Libya, you know. Kelsey and I just met some of our neighbors this week, and I'm so glad. We're starting to pray for him. We met him because he wants to bring his justice to that house about five doors down, and he wants to bring justice to Iraq. Amen? Now, here's where I'm headed because I know most of you have heard this before. So if we stipulate that, yes, Jesus is himself and his church is to be a haven for the broken, you and me, And if we stipulate that he's also to be a launch to the nations, and of course it kind of gets to why we call this thing the harbor. Because the picture is we have you, a ship, you come in, you get refueled, refurbished, and then we send you back out. Then from here to here, there's a process that goes on. And that process is more than meets the eye. That process is you getting transformed. Amen? God has made you to be transformed. You are not to be just in this camp are just in this one, but you are to start here and God wants to transform you and bring you to here. Some of you are just here and you think, oh God, just help me with my brokenness, rescue me, deliver me. Ah! Hey, if that's all you're living for, God's got more. It's going to get more exciting. Honestly, if you're just surviving, if you're just getting your healing from Jesus so you can just make it, you're going to miss out on the best part, I can tell you. And then some of you are here and you're like, I want to go. Send me. Here I go. And I'm thinking, oh gosh, Lord Jesus, let's do a work in his character first before we send him anywhere. Because <laughs> it's going to be crazy if we let him go, if we let him loose too soon. And so all of us need a transformation. We all need to be on this transformational process, right? We know God's plan. God's plan is in Matthew 24, 14. He says, and uh, this gospel will be preached to the nations and then the end will come. In other words, how is Jesus going to bring justice? I just want to fill in. God's going to bring justice to the nations by having the church be the church, right? He fills it out again in Matthew 28, 18, saying, right, you guys um, go into all the nations, uh, make disciples, teach them to obey, you, uh, obey me and baptize me in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and I'm going to do this deal. He wants to do it, and he wants to use me, and he wants to use you. He's willing. The question is, are we willing? Will we get surrendered enough and low enough to do it? I can tell you that one of the privileges, actually John mentioned this just a second ago, but one of my privileges also is the one that John has had. I can just say, over these last four years, just observing the transformation in your lives has been absolutely wonderful. All glory to God. I've seen timid people here get bold in their faith and get bold in who they are in Jesus Christ. It's awesome. I've seen some 
some of you guys come to us with some incredible trauma, you know, just ch- kind of your, your childhood trauma, family of origin stuff, and I've seen you guys get healed, right? I've seen some of us with real sexual brokenness, you know, porn, same-sex attraction, all the stuff, the whole gamut of sexual brokenness. I've seen God give you a purity and a holiness and kind of restore to you your identity of God's love for you, and it's been wonderful. I've seen those of you in debt finally say, you know what, I'm sick of being in debt. I want to rein in my, fa- my finances for the sake of God. I've, some, I've seen some of you transform how you deal with the material world. Say, okay, God, this is not mine anyways. It's all yours, so I'm going to be a steward for God and his purposes. It's been awesome. Some of you who are more or less apathetic, I've seen you get fired up for the purposes of God in your area, in your domain. It's wonderful. And I've seen a bunch of you who just have callings on your life, and I can see them from a mile away. Some of you guys have these, I mean, all of us have a calling, but it's been fun to see some of those callings really get uh, made mature because of the body of Christ. You know, you got a calling, I'll just, I'll just tell you, you got a calling, it's going to come forth in the context of the body of Christ because that's Jesus' plan. So it's been fun to see some of you really walk into your callings. What a privilege. What a joy. And it's just getting started. Amen? We are just at the tip of the iceberg of how God wants to transform you and me and this community. <clears throat> when I was in India, Kelsey and I were in India with uh, the Navigate Training School in June, and there's actually a moment where I stepped back and I just, you know, kind of did the shifty eye thing. Hmm. And uh, I just thought, wow, God, look at these people. I said, there, there's a few of them in particular who are walking in incredible boldness. You know, there they were in the nations, just going for, you know, walking up to people on the street and saying, hey, I see, you have a crutch. Let me pray for you. You know, maybe God wants to heal you. This is incredible boldness. It kind of fires up, you know, gets up in people. And, um, and, uh, and, and I saw just um, their love for God and worship, you know. And I just remembered where a few of them had been two and three years ago. And I just thought, God, you have done this. You have done this transforming work. And these people, hello, test, test, Are we, am, I, am I still on? Did we lose it? Okay. So, there we go. Uh, actually, it's a great little segue here. I want you, I want, I, want, um, I think I'm still on, am I? It's going to go away, okay. It's going to go away. On, 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 on. It's going to go away. Thank you, Josh Booth. Hey, good segue. I got two of these guys' stories on video. I want you to um, put your attention to the screen and listen to this story. Yeah, on the inside, I was just really broken. I didn't understand why. When I came to the harbor, I was so broken. You know, I wouldn't want anyone to have known that at the time, but... Like, I was so broken. I definitely didn't have it all together. I was fairly, like, lonely and, like, insecure about myself. On the inside, I really didn't have a sense of who God was, and I didn't know who I was in relation to God. Yeah, I was just, you know, not as confident, not as open, um, hurting in a lot of ways. I was, I was looking for something... That, that just was more real. Deep, like, deep wounds have really 
gotten significant healing. I won't say that they're completely healed yet, but it's a process. It's not coming out in this video, but I am <laughs> a lot more secure. <laughs> yeah, more secure in who I am um, as, as like a daughter of God, as, as loved by God. Through coming Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, like, you know, different sermons would strike different chords and, um, you know, God would really just, he, he's really just working he has been working in my life. I wanted like that truth to be more in me, so I kept on coming. Has really just been using the harbor to, to change me more into the man that he is making me into. As someone that God speaks to, God has like spoken to me like pieces of, of who I am and who I'm not and um, how like you know, just how much he loves me so. She took the time to like love me well. Like a sounding board, someone who who knows me just so well and who I can just be really raw with, really open with, because we just have a history. And allowing me to just like talk and to really kind of process what was going on. It makes it somehow simpler to, to really get after those heart issues that um, you know, I'm really trying to deal with. She was able to like ask the right kind of questions in the right kind of way. It's also awesome just to have you know someone to pray with, someone who is regularly praying for you, someone who you can pray for. She, she took time to kind of like be a friend. Yeah, there's to a lot of give and take there. Uh, it's not just about the disciple, but it's also about the discipler as well. It wasn't ever in a judgmental way or anything like that either. It was just like, like she was very accepting. A friend when I really needed a friend. And that, yeah, that brought about like just maturity and stuff. The girls really loved one another. They would kind of like listen to one another very patiently and um, and speak into one another's lives like in, in like a really encouraging way. You get to know people much easier within community. Like the authenticity of their friendship. You obviously become better friends with them because they are better able to get to know you. Compassion towards one another. That fifth group, for me, I think has been good because it's not necessarily just a straight Bible study. Where they gather around somebody and like pray for them and um, really speak into their lives. It's really just rewarding to, to be able to, with a small group of people, to really just kind of go after like, yeah, what's what's God's heart? God was definitely in the faith group. Faith group is awesome. Their lives were changing through Navigate. Navigate really helped me to cultivate my life as a worshiper. You could tell that they were, were more confident about themselves. He has spoken things into my life that have been just like incredibly healing. The things that I really wanted in like a church setting in a relationship with God we're just like making sense and piecing together. It's like being on a potter's wheel that's going really really fast and you just God is just like molding you like and changing you like kind of on a daily basis. I always want more. If Navigate was like a potter's wheel Going to India was like the kiln. I really learned more about what it means to walk in boldness, especially as it relates to sharing the gospel, um, walking in the supernatural, 
and it really gave me just a really good picture of what it can look like to plant a church in another culture. I highly recommend a trip like that. We'll praise the Lord. I definitely feel like, you know, the harbor is, is a great place in, because, you know, it really, it really lives up to its, um, you know, sort of tagline, you know, hidden for the broken. He was able to really speak good, true things about, you know, my identity as, as someone who is a part of, like, his plan. The harbor has done a good job at helping me to cultivate a kingdom mindset, um, and that can apply to many areas from worship to how I relate to other people to how I relate to myself, to my finances. I, know, I feel like I'm a different person. Come on! Praise God. Hey, that's why I'm in this. I think that's why Jesus is in it, because he wants to see you and me transformed. Amen? Amen. I got two things to just share on, on, the, on that video. The first is, some of you may be sitting here and be like, hey, I don't really identify with the whole, like, oh, I'm broken, I'm falling apart, ah, my life's a mess. You know, thank God. Some of you come to us with, you know, healthy families of origin, and you come as kind of go-getters and secure. Amen. Hey, I just want you to say, you don't have to make anything up to put yourself in this category. And I call to mind the centurion, you know, the guy who came to Jesus, and um, probably a strong dude, you know, pretty secure and just all that God made him to be. But somehow he got it right as far as humility and hunger. So, hey, if you're not falling apart on the inside, you're relatively whole. Just know I have a hunch that, um, that what God does in your and my lives is he at some point brings us to a place where we can't make something happen. And the operating word at that time is hunger and humility. So you don't need to be falling apart to be a candidate for God's move in your life, but there's got to be a hunger. You know, somewhere that centurion who said, hey, my... my um, my servant is sick. Jesus, you just say the word and he'll be healed. He had faith that Jesus called amazing. Some of you, it's just a matter of a little hunger and a little humility saying, God, I need you. And the second thing I'd say in just kind of in, in, in response to the video is what makes the, the part of the reason how Matt and Rocky get from here to here, and many of you is, because they got a key understanding. And I want to call to mind the confession that we just read at the very beginning of the service. They've got a key understanding, and it enabled them to interpret their trials and their, and their pain. And that understanding comes there from Romans 8, 28 and 29. And many of you know 28, at least I sure did growing up. It was, you know, for God works for good, for, you know, for, um, through all things. Sorry, I'm just totally botching this memory verse. Thank you, God. Um, you know, uh, God works for good for those. God works all things for good. Can we get it back up there? Help me. God works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Okay, there we go, right? Okay, so let's, let's, have the, let's go back to the, what you just had up there. There you go. Okay, right? We, we got Romans eight twenty eight. you know? I, at least I knew this kind of growing up, right? I mean, obviously it doesn't show now, but know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him have been called according to his purpose. Awesome. But to be honest with you, this scripture kind of became a slap in the face to me when I was really going through some tough times. I was like, it almost was mocking to me. I'm like, God, if this is true, I'm sure not experiencing it right now. How can it be? But you know what unlocked the thing for me was verse 29. Because then I realized, okay, those God foreknew, he predestined. And why did he predestine us? Did he just predestine us so we could 
um, have a really good opinion theologically about predestination and, and, and uh, get mad at the people who don't think like we do? No. Sorry, I even got that little <clears throat> theological dig. He predestined us to be what? Conformed to the image of his son. Okay? In other words, why am I going from here to here, among other things? To be conformed to the image of his son. And having that knowledge is what helps me interpret my trial. It helps me interpret the transformation process correctly. That God has something higher than my feeling good all the time in his mind. He's got me being conformed to the image of Christ in his mind. Amen? So I call to mind the question that I asked you first. Where do you need a transformation? How is God transforming you? How is he inviting you to transformation? You should let the Holy Spirit kind of answer that question in you, with you. Because I guarantee there's something inside you that needs to change. There's about a million things in me that God's still working on. And the thing I want to say is you want this transformation. I just, I want you to know, you want this transformation. Because it gets really fun being a part of the purposes of God. Being launched into His purposes, it gets fun. I just heard a great story a week and a half ago. I happened to be having lunch with uh, the guy who, like, kind of accidentally is leading a movement not unlike ours uh, in flavor. And um, uh, for those of you who are with us for the first time, we're part of this mini movement called Community Faith International, which is part of a larger movement called Antioch International Association of Churches. There's about 20 of us in the U.S. right now, about 20 or 30 overseas. This, this guy that I met with, his movement, and it's only about 10 or 15 years older than ours, but there's now 13,000 churches in his movement. I mean, not his, God's movement. It's called New Covenant International. 13,000. Largely, they, they kinda, their, their, their launch was South Africa and Australia, and so they just got a lot going on. And he just told me a quick story. He said, well, one of the churches is in Geneva, Switzerland, and the pastor of their church in Geneva is bivocational, right? He pastors, but he's got another job. I kind of forgot what his other job is, 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 is. But <clears throat> he happened to be in the home of, you know, if you know your uh, European geography, Geneva, Switzerland, the Fran- France borders, French borders right there. So he's doing some work on the French side of things. And he happens to be in the home of the top tennis player in France right now. His name is Gael Monfils, just the masculine form of Gael, Gael. Gael Monfils, he's, he's black, you know, so he's, Domin- he's um, from Dominique or... Um, uh, some one of the other overseas territories of France, but he's the number one tennis guy right now. He's got like an ice pack on his knee. I forget what the, this bivocational pastor, I don't know if he like cleans houses, I don't know what he does, but he's in his house and uh, sees him with his knee and he says, the pastor says, hey, I actually have another job. You know, Gael says, you know, oh, I'm a pastor. I don't want to pray for your knee. So he prays for this guy's knee Tennis guy. Obviously, his knee is pretty important to him. He probably has insurance on his knee, you know. He gets healed. The power of God shows up. He gets healed. And uh, the, the Monfils, he says, you know, I know my mom's kind of a believer or whatever. So this isn't making sense to me. He gives his heart to the Lord. He's part of that church in Geneva. And glory to God. I'm just saying, that's kind of fun, you know. I want to be a part of that. I want to be transformed. So like that pastor, I'm ready to go when it's time to go. Do you know what I'm saying? Amen? Amen. You guys stand with me.
He wants to launch you. He wants to heal you and he wants to launch you. Thank you, Lord. Transform me. I can't think of a better way for us to celebrate and commemorate and ask for the transformation of Jesus Christ than for us to share the communion table. So we're about to take communion. I'm going to ask our our ushers and those serving communion to come forward. And as we come to this table, I got a couple of things going through my mind. And, and one of them is, there is power in what we're about to do. There is power in what we're about to do. And so we remember, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks saying, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And it says, after the supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup, it's the blood of the new covenant. There's going to be a new relationship now between you and me, and it's based on what I've done for you, not on what you ever can do. Drink this as often as you do in remembrance of me. So I'm going to ask you now, just extend your hand towards the communion elements. We just want to ask God to really show up in this symbol. It's more than a symbol. Lord Jesus, we just ask, will you bless the breaking of this bread and the drinking of this juice? Will you bless it with your power, your transformational power? Lord, I'm asking that as each one of us in this room takes the bread and takes the juice, we'd experience the transformational power of Jesus Christ. God, as we come, we're laying at your altar the places in our heart that are unredeemed and unrepentant. We're asking for grace from heaven for a greater healing and a greater deliverance. God, we bring to you the places that are unsubmitted in our hearts to you and your purposes. And we say, Lord, set us on fire for your purposes. Oh God, put us in a heart of transformation or bust. It's transformation or nothing, God. We want to get transformed for the sake of you and your kingdom.